Hi, this is Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall from Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. From a distance, this orchard looks healthy and productive. But up close, you can see that North Carolina's marshmallow crops are in trouble. The problem? Water. Too much of it. They have a critical range of moisture, and you get above it, they get laden with it, and then you get early drop. You know, these are, are fruit-bearing trees here, and marshmallows are, are tree fruit. And, and when you get this water in them, they, they drop off down into the ground, and, and that's it. You can't harvest them. But how's that really affected them? It's the third straight year that grower Ben Yokin will not take any marshmallows to market. He knows that growing the cash crop is a gamble, a lost bet that may have cost him his farm. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. 20 years and counting as Chicago's go-to deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday morning on Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome. At 847. A new secure line has been opened for communication. 877 711 5611. Now back to American Radio Broadcast. On Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. And here they are She's Lean and He's Green, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Yanni. Laura. Yanni. Yannel. <laughs> you know. Yanni Laurel represents everything that's good and everything that's bad about our society. It's it's a little bit of both. It's good and it gives people something to talk about other than you know who. And yeah. <laughs> 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 now, okay, quick. Now that we got off to that start. <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> move on. But see, I'm not going to say the name. Yes. Uh, good so, morning. Good morning. Uh, no. No. Good afternoon. Good, good evening. Day. Good day. Yeah, whatever whatever it is, wherever you're listening, and welcome to the show. Um, and um, uh, I was, but you, I didn't get to say what was bad. What was bad is our obsession with with anything minutia like mm-hmm. Yanni and Laurel and that whole thing, which is really that's that's one of those really things. Uh, okay, sure, and that'll last like a week, and then we'll, we'll, we'll not even that. It'll last like two days, yes. and we'll move on. Uh, welcome to the show. We have oh my goodness, have we got a lot of stuff on this show. And we often say that at the beginning of uh, the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, boy, this is a jam-packed show. But this one really but this, is. <laughs> this one really is. This a, one's over the top, jam-packed. A jam-packed show. Um, and uh, very briefly, we're going to start this morning with uh, Juanita Irizarry, who's the executive director of Friends of the Parks. Uh, this is the fourth time she's been on the show in a year. Uh, I think she gets our record here, uh, except for our, our, our regulars. Well, she's become sort of a regular on the show. 
And uh, we'll be talking about what's going on with the uh, Obama Presidential Center in uh, Jackson Park on the south side of Chicago. Um, it just never ends. And it, it, we had a very interesting week. Uh, lots of people uh, involved in that. And it's very controversial. And we'll get to that in a second. want to let folks that know in the second part of this first hour, Liz Moran Stelk from Illinois Stewardship Alliance uh, and uh, Andy Olson from uh, Environmental Law and Policy Center. We'll be talking Farm Bill. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there are other things going on in the world, including the Farm Bill, which, uh, you know, if you can cut through all the the garbage about all the other stuff going on in Washington, you might even have heard that it was up for a vote on Friday and went down in flames, and that might have been a good thing because it was a really bad bill. And uh, we're going to talk to Liz Moran-Stelk and Andy Olson about why that was a bad thing um, and uh, and what they can do to fix it. And then uh, in the second hour, our soils, our soils, which are really important, and a couple of uh, technologies that might help, and who knows? Uh, it's there. It, some of them are in their infancy, and some of them are controversial. Uh, biochar and biosolids. And we have Tom Marrero from Wakefield Biochar, and we have Dominic Brose uh, from the MWRD, Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago, and Dan Donnelly, who's a buddy of mine, who's a golf su- superintendent, certified golf superintendent at North Shore Country Club in Glenview. Uh, and I've, I've watched him work his magic with turf there and all the crate and he works with compost you know and worms and it's it's he's so, a mad scientist of is, the golf he course he is a mad scientist and it's really fun to watch all right we're gonna we got one minute i'll tell you what uh i i was going to bring in our first guest where this, this first segment goes very quickly and as i said we had a lot of stuff on the show so i'm going to tell juanita just hang on a second we're going to introduce you when we come back from our first break juanita irizari who's the executive director of Friends of the Parks, rather than have her come on and say hi, and then we go, okay, we'll be right back. Um, I'm letting her know that we will be right back with her and talk about the issue, which uh, you can find on my website, MikeNovak.net. There's a lot of information there. There's a lot of links you can find out about the different groups that are involved, what their sides are in this, and why. Uh, and I hope that you take advantage of that. MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. We're live on Facebook today. Yeah, At the Mike Novak Show. At the Mike Novak Show. And we'll be right back with the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. 
When's the last time you made a deposit in your ecosystem savings account? What I mean is that native plants are an investment in the future. They help to provide clean water, clean air, sequester carbon, mitigate climate change, and more. All of which have a major economic impact on global commerce and health impacts on humans, even in your own backyard. Natural Communities Native Plants can help you enrich yourself and the world around you. For starters, they have the largest selection of native plants, shrubs, and trees in the Midwest. And if this is the year you ditch that turf lawn for a native alternative, they offer low-mo lawn blends, sedge lawn kits, or knee-high meadows if you're feeling really brave. They even have native garden kits for beginners. You can take it to the bank. The birds, bees, butterflies, and other critters will think you're a financial genius. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Naturalcommunities.net. This is your talk. Do you read me? On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Come on, is anybody even out there? I'm just playing this so that uh, Mark Zuckerberg can pull the plug on it. Mark, if you're listening, uh, uh, yeah, have at it. You can mute this all you want. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And speaking of girlfriends, let's bring in uh, ours uh, for the show, Juanita Irizarry, who is executive director of Friends of the Parks in Chicago. Juanita, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's It's great to have you back on the show. You've had... Yet another busy week we've been talking. I was looking at uh, uh, the past shows we did with you, and we've been doing this for about a year now. And I know you've been working at it yep. even, even longer, but your appearances on the show date back a year. Uh, and um, not, not, not even that, actually, to tell you the truth. Uh, and so uh, yet another really busy week, and perhaps you want to uh, bring us up to speed before I start peppering you with questions, but uh, sure. the, the Chicago Planning Commission met this week, correct? That's right. Um, it was the Obama Presidential Center bringing their latest iteration of, the, uh, of their campus um, forward for review and approval. And uh, it went before the Planning Commission uh, and it was not your normal planning commission meeting. From I was not there. Uh, actually, I wanted to be there. I had another engagement that day. Uh, but from what I read, it was pretty intense. Seven hours. Uh, they devoted only. There was only one item on the agenda, and that was right. the Obama Presidential Center. Uh, and people of all. Stripes and sizes were there, some in favor, some not in favor, uh, some... Some were removed. Uh, some removed, some protesting, some uh, lots of people testifying. Uh, and in the end, the Planning Commission, from what I read, unanimously approved uh, the plans as they stand right now. Is that correct? That's right. And there were folks, you know, out in front of the building as early as five in the morning and rallies outside of the the meeting as people were going through the metal detectors to get in, and then there were protests inside, and protesters got thrown out. So it was quite the day. Yeah, I'm just stunned by the idea that people would come at 5 a.m. to make sure that their voices were heard, which 
is really a good thing, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, one of the things you've got coming up, and before we let you go, we'll be talking about your conference, uh, Park Says Democracy, which happens in June. But this is sort of democracy in action, wasn't it? That's right. I mean, even even if you don't agree with what people are saying, it's always really exciting to see so many people care about what's happening in our parks. And and there really were people testifying from all different points of view. It's easy to try to boil it down to people being against it or people being for it. To be be honest, I haven't met very many people who don't want the Obama Presidential Center in Chicago on our south side. The question is whether people want it in a park or do they want a community benefits agreement? Are they hoping the process is done correctly? Um, So it was it is inspiring, um, regardless of your point of view, to see so many people engaged in the process. And let's clear some things up right now. Let's just get right to the heart of it, because I've gotten emails here uh, uh, at the Mike Novak show from people who uh, Frankly, I, ha- I had w- one person write to me and said said that he was unhappy because you're that Friends of the Parks was being antagonistic, so antagonistic. And I and I and I played dumb and I just kind of said, OK, well, what do you mean? And uh, the response was because I knew what the response was going to be. And, and I was right. It was uh, about the Lucas Museum and about the Obama Library. And um, to be on to be sure. I, I look at the situation now, and the, and there's so many different views uh, about it, and, and it's almost as if you guys are kind of in the middle, uh, because, yes. <laughs> I mean, you, that must be a little uh, amazing for you, uh, because you're not leading the charge except in the idea that, hey, folks, we need to take care of our parks. That's the mission of Friends of the Parks. It's, it's reg- whatever else is going on, yeah. Your, yeah. your goal is to say... We have this vision that we've had in this city for 150, uh, 160 years, and we're standing by it. That's uh, what we do. And it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with the economics. It doesn't have to do with with race. It has to do with the parks and open land. And uh, you're, you're not even the people behind the lawsuit right now. And I think right. I think there's some confusion about that. So maybe you want to clarify that. Sure. Um, Yes, there's this group called Protect Our Parks, which has uh, nothing to do with us, um, that has decided that Friends of the Parks wasn't taking a strong enough position. And they had actually communicated to that and had been chastising us a bit for not um, taking that position. And they have actually historically a number of times um, taken stronger positions and filed lawsuits when Friends of the Parks did not do that. So, um, however, I think, number one, um, some people honestly don't understand the difference and other people aren't really interested in the truth um, that we are not the same organization and, and we're not pursuing the same strategy. Um, but you know, I think that you know, it's also hard for people to understand advocacy and negotiation, and they also are uncomfortable when we push on issues for fear that um, they will, in this case, go away, like what happened with the Lucas Museum. We hear that an awful lot. Um, So the position that Friends of the Parks has taken on the Obama Presidential Center is that while we do not believe it should be in a park, that's philosophically what we believe in and that's what we fight for, like you said, that's our mission. Um, In this case, we decided that probably the best possible outcome would be to make sure that the Obama Center replaces the parkland, the green space that they are taking up by locating in Jackson Park. 
So if they put their campus in a place where there's currently a track and field, they need to give us a new track and field. Since that new track and field is going to displace a baseball diamond, then they need to give us a new baseball diamond. And they need to give us parks in the neighborhood to make up for the acreage that they're taking away from Jackson Park. That is our position. We certainly do push because that's what you do during advocacy and negotiation to try to get the best possible outcome that you can. And one of the things uh, I was uh, uh, taken by was uh, your statement about the lawsuit. Uh, uh, folks, again, and again, let's make it really clear, Friends of the Parks is not bringing this lawsuit against the city. This is another organization that's done it on their own. Uh, and it, And again, when I... St- spoke earlier and said you were in the mid- middle. You just mentioned that some people say you're not taking a strong enough stand. I'm sure there's some people say right. you're too strong and you have to throw your, your your hands in the air and say, mm-hmm. we're just, we have a very specific mission. And if you look at our mission, it's very right. clear what we're trying to do. I happen right. to, I, by the way, I happen to agree with that mission, which is we have to protect our parks. Uh, the, the, what you did with the Lucas museum was a hundred percent correct in my book and good riddance and Thank goodbye. You. Um, and uh, uh, because they had the opportunity to go elsewhere in the city, and they right. they wanted the lakefront. Everybody wants the lakefront. Well, la di da. Okay, you can't mm-hmm. have you can't have the lakefront. It's ours. It's the citizens of Chicago. And I kind of feel the same That's way right. about about Jackson Park. The problem with that is that there, and I want to address this very quickly, is there are people saying that anybody else who who voices an opinion is a carpetbagger because you don't live there. Well, guess what? I'm a citizen of the city of Chicago. My tax dollars are going to go to this. So I do have a voice in this. Uh, That's right. Yeah. And and let me just say, I mean, first of all, Friends of the Parks has a really strong base in Hyde Park. And a lot of our our folks actually do live in that neighborhood. But our big regional parks do draw from all over Mm -hmm. the city. Um, So that's important. And and thirdly, we all do need to speak into the fact that Chicago does not have enough parkland per capita. We're about number 12 on the list of cities of how much parkland we have per person. We should be number three. We're the third largest city, but we're number 12. So we all should be advocating for the fact that every time you build in one of our parks, you're taking away parkland, yet yeah. we need to be right. going in the other direction. Right. And one of the points that you made in your blog about um, is it truly public space, that mil- you pointed to Millennial Millennium Park was closed down uh, for St. Patrick's Day, and you raised the question, well, who right. issues the permits then on the Obama Center and the campus? And that's one of the things you guys are trying to protect. That's right. And, you know, the Obama Center folks say good things about wanting to make that space open to the public, just like land controlled by the Chicago Park District. But the reality is that if they decide to rope the whole thing off because Obama's in town and there are security issues, we don't have the same recourse because it won't belong to the Chicago Park District. Who will we go to to complain? How do we keep them accountable? And those questions have all not been answered yet, Mm -hmm. neither to us in private nor publicly. Uh, And so, you know, we as the public need to, we have the right. They're taking up our public parkland. We should have the right to ask questions about how they're going to assure true public access and public accountability. Uh, when we first spoke uh, almost a year ago, one of your issues was transparency mm-hmm. and the idea that, mm-hmm. that the Obama Foundation had not been quite as transparent as it should be. Uh, one of the articles that I that I 
posted on my blog uh, talks about all the different meetings that have happened in the past year uh, and and how the Obama Foundation has gotten involved. Uh, what kind of mark would you give them for transparency in, now, a year later? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, let me just put it this way. The Obama Foundation has been much better at these things than the city of Chicago was when it comes to the Lucas Museum. However, there are still very much indications that this is a done deal and they're just kind of justifying after the fact things that had already been decided. And the reality is that the Obama Foundation keeps telling us, well, this is Rahm Emanuel's city and we have to follow his lead. So there are things happening at the city level and at the park district level, as well as the Obama Foundation level. And sometimes we get people pointing fingers at one another. Oh, well, that's not us. That's them. Right. And they just all point at each other in order to defer and deflect. Um we also have, you know, kept saying that the decision to give City Plan Commission, Chicago Plan Commission approval is premature because there's also a federal review process going on called the Section 106 review and the NEPA review, which is National Environmental Policy Act. And those take a couple of years for a project of this scope. And they're trying to do it on a year time frame, which really to get that done is probably going to require them cutting some corners. And we keep saying that to them. And the, the the fact is that the federal review process is being handled by the city of Chicago staff. And that gives us great pause because we all know that the city of Chicago is going to do what it wants to do and then tell us later, oops, there was a contract that wasn't right. Oops, you know, the parking meter deal, it didn't really give us the best benefit for Chicago. And so we keep saying, you guys really need to make sure this process goes correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, for the sake of Chicago, but also because there has been another Section 106 process in Chicago that was sued because they cut corners and someone else sued. And it wasn't us, but that same organization is at the consulting party's table um, for the Obama Center. And we keep telling the Obama Foundation, you guys need to do this right. They've said to us, you know, Obama was the president. He cares about federal processes. We will do it right. But we are still concerned that they are, um, again, that this is already a done deal and they're just trying to you know, justify what they've already decided to do. Do you think it's a done deal? Uh, absolutely. Okay. So now what, mm-hmm. since, so now you're in mop-up work, what, what is that? What is it you can do to make sure that the, our open spaces in the city of Chicago get something out of this? Mm-hmm. Well, we think we all need to keep raising our voices. And that was, you know, what was important about, uh, Thursday's Chicago Plan Commission, even though you know pretty much everyone expected that they would just vote unanimously to approve it, is that we have to keep the pressure on. Um, we have said to the Obama Foundation, look, you're taking up Jackson Park, you're talking about closing roads through Jackson Park, which is still very controversial, yeah. you know, can give us some green space back, but the community is still up in arms about a lot of elements of that. So let's take a look at some other things that you can do, Obama Foundation, to give back to the community. And we have said to them, you should pay for some of the elements that have been outlined in the New South Lakefront Framework Plan, which was a process that was catalyzed by this whole idea that the Obama Center should be in Jackson Park. So the community just got through this big, long process of going to public meetings and, you know, talking about what we want for Jackson Park. And there's this really shiny new plan, which is exciting, except that people don't understand there's no money attached to almost all of it. 
Hmm. Right. Yeah. So people are like, yay, we're going to get a new dog park. Yay, we're going to get a new tennis court. <laughs> yay, we're going to get a pickleball court. I still don't know what pickleball is, but that was one of the big <laughs> wows of that plan. Um, but there's no money. The park district themselves will say that they do not have a plan to pay for that stuff yet. Yeah. So oh. we have said to the Obama Foundation, well, why don't you put a little bit more money on the table and pay for those things? It won't cost you that much in the grand scheme of things, but it will bring a lot of public benefit in terms of actually having those amenities and we won't have a community that then goes oh my goodness they once again you know pulled one on us because they got approval to take up this parkland but then we never got those other things you know maybe 20 years from now before some of the things in in that plan come to fruition unless the obama foundation comes to the table and and i understand that that. and And that includes well, I want to give you a couple of minutes here to uh, talk about the, uh, the your 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 annual meeting. Uh, uh, tell us about what's going on in uh, June. Yeah, uh, on June eighth and 9th, which is a Friday and a Saturday, we have our luncheon and conference, and we gather friends and members and folks involved with park <laughs> advisory councils and all kinds of park partners and advocates to talk about issues of what's going on in our community, and we'll be highlighting some of the signature projects that we're working on, like the Obama Center, like the Fight for the DuSable Park, which is making some big strides this year, um, like our long-term vision to finish um, uh, the lakefront path, right, all the way mm-hmm. up to Evanston and down to right. Indiana. Yeah. Um, but we'll also be talking about some of the new things that are on the horizon. The mayor has made the, the Chicago River development his big signature thing now. And what does that mean for park development? And we we frame all of this in the context of, you know, people don't all have the same opinion about what should happen in their local park or in our big parks. But we think it's important for us to kind of break down some of the issues, educate ourselves, and then, you know, figure out how to advocate around them, even in the reality that we won't all agree on these things. And that's going to be 8th and 9th at Roosevelt University. And uh, you can go to FOTP.org for more information. Dick Simpson is going to be speaking as well. Juanita Rosari, we're out of time, but we're going to be talking more about this in the very near future. Thank you very much. From boat to doorstep. You can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. 
You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. You're listening to Weekends on WCGO. Check out our Facebook live stream brought to you in part by our exclusive signage partner, Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Located at 3450 West Devon Avenue, visit them on the web at fastsigns.com slash 80. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Before we get to our next two guests who are standing by, and you guys hang on for a second, uh, we're very proud to say that uh, we've got a new sponsor on the Mike Novak Show. Go ahead. They get a double ding. Uh, Sitka Salmon Shares, and if you go to the Facebook page right now, you'll see it uh, uh, rotating uh, with some of the other uh, ads up there on the Facebook page. But if you go to MikeNovak.net, it's right at the top of the page, and uh, or at least it is on some. Uh, <laughs> oh, there it is. It's there. It's uh, the Sitka Salmon Shares, bringing responsible and sustainable wild Alaskan seafood from our fishermen owners direct to your door. And one of the cool things about this is you've heard we talk about uh, uh, CSAs. Community-supported agriculture. This is a CSF, community-supported fishery. And what they do is they take your order, they send it to their family. They got the family fishermen out in Alaska. Uh, They get the orders. You get them here in the Midwest. They're they're actually based in Galesburg. How cool is that? Mm -hmm. And we interviewed them a year ago at the Good Food Expo. Uh, Not this year, but last year, 2017. Uh, And we're very excited to talk to them. Now, if you go to the website and you use the code MikeNovak18, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K-1-8, as in 2018, you're going to get 25 bucks off on any 2018 CSF, and you can get them for, for three months, six months, nine months. You can you can get a little bit, like one or two servings. You can get a lot if you have a big family or a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. So it's a great way to try different types of seafood that you might not be getting in the store, and it's very fresh. And you're supporting 22 small family fisher fisher critters. Fisher, yeah, right, fisher critters. And uh, you can go to Sitka Salmon Shares dot com to find that information, or go to my website and just click on the link. It'll take you there. And again, don't forget to use the code. And you're probably hearing those ads uh, on our station right now because uh, we just got that up. But I, we wanted to to say hi to these folks and thank them for being part of the show. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Use the discount code MikeNovak18 and 25 bucks off your share. And you get fresh seafood. You, you can't lose. This is such a great thing. And you can see what they have available, and they have different chairs. So From boat to door, from, as they say. Exactly. And and 
Thank you, and welcome to the Mike Novak Show, Sitka Salmon Shares. All right, let's go to the phones and uh, bring in our two guests. Liz Moran-Stelk is the executive director of the Illinois Stewardship Alliance. Liz, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Hi, Peggy. Good morning. Uh, Great to talk to you. And Andy Olson, senior policy advocate at the Environmental Law and Policy Center's Madison, Wisconsin office. Are you there, Andy? Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Peggy. Good morning, Andy. Good morning to both of you. And here we are. Here's something that's been on our radar for a long time, which is the Farm Bill. And Peggy and I, almost every week, we would say, okay, Farm Bill, we got to get somebody on the show. Okay, what's happening this week? Okay, nothing not, <laughs> nothing quite happening this week. Okay, It's coming up for a vote. It's, it's coming up we, for a we vote. We know it's coming. It's coming down. Okay, here it comes. Here it comes. And then finally this week, we were going to do this anyway, and then they had the vote on Friday. That loud thunk you heard. That, that crash and burn. That, <laughs> that was the uh, farm bill on Friday in the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, and let's start with Liz uh, from the Illinois Stewardship Alliance. Um, it, uh, it, it, the, as I told, I think I told you on the phone. I think I told Andy on the phone when I was was setting up this interview. Um, it failed, but it failed for the wrong reason. The part of the reason it failed is because some uh, legislators want immigration reform tacked onto it, which has nothing to do with the farm bill. Liz, you guys looked at the Farm Bill as it stood and didn't like what you saw in the first place. Can you explain why? Yeah, sure, Mike. No, I think no one liked this Farm Bill. Even the folks who sort of tolerated it believed that the final Farm Bill might be better if the Senate farm, when the Senate Farm Bill and the House were merged into one. Uh, so the fact is that they're across the board. No one wanted this House Farm Bill. In fact, you know, not to discount, there was this this political maneuvering with immigration, but we shouldn't discount that over 500 groups, including agriculture, food, hunger, you know, conservation across the board, um, decided to say no to this house bundle. And for us, I got to tell you, you know, it was not an easy decision to ask our members to say no to a farm bill because, you know, we have we represent our membership-based organization. We represent farmers, and we hear from our members that they need certainty. They need to know that they're, we're going to know what's going to happen with the farm bill before it expires on September 30th. And um, it was really hard to, to, to ask the House to go back to the drawing board after they've been working on this farm bill for a year, risking that they might not finish it in time. Uh, and but it you, was worth it because this bill was so bad. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. Uh, one of the things uh, or some of the things you write on your website at Illinois Stewardship Alliance, and you can find that information at MikeNovak.net. I've got the link up uh, on my homepage uh, that y- you say that the the bill in its current form guts local food, um, fails uh, beginning and socially disadvantaged farmers, eliminates conservation resources. I saw just uh, a, 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 a huge number, and this kind of ties into what Andy's going to talk about, but about the uh, amount of money that's going away from conservation efforts. Mm-hmm. And, and tied to all of this, which is kind of unfortunate, but it's the way, you know, it's life uh, in, 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 uh, in America these days is the SNAP program. Uh, and, and SNAP, which is the... Uh, food assistance program 
makes up the bulk of the farm bill. And that's the way it's been for 40, mm-hmm. 40 years in this country. And that, of course, is a bone of contention as well. Uh, can you briefly talk about some of these things that I mentioned, like the local food and uh, the, the new farmers mm-hmm. and, and conservation? Yeah, sure. Our priorities uh, when we list it, when we look at the farm bill, and the fact is that um, there have been a couple of really great programs that the farm bill has sort of quietly, um, in the last decade, been been helping, and that's been building a, a really strong local and regional food system, including the farmers market and local food promotion program, the value added producer grants program, uh, cost share with organic certification and food safety training. These programs, we call them the tiny but mighty, have really helped, you know, guarantee that there are people all over the country who have access to things like farmer's markets and Mm -hmm. that um, we're able to, you know, sort of get the word out, Um, including our organization helped. um, We got a farmer's market promotion program grant from the USDA to help establish the Band of Farmers, the Chicagoland CSA Coalition. So these these things are great for consumers who want access to fresh local food, and they've been incredibly helpful for producers who are try- we're really trying to rebuild the the food system that has been um, you know hollowed out by the, the industrial agriculture. And then you know another critical problem we have is addressing a crisis of we have an aging farming population, and um, you know lots of folks are going to retire in the next ten years. And so beginning farmer and socially disadvantaged programs are all about trying to make sure that new farmers have training, they have access to land, credit, and risk management, including um, the great programs in Illinois like Angelic Organics Learning Center and the Land Connection and FoodWorks who are mm-hmm. all training new farmers and helping drive the supply of fr- fresh local food that we have here. So, and those were all going to be cut. They were, they were, there was zero mandatory funding for the programs that are helping in the House Farm Bill, that are helping build the local food system. All right. I want to get to Andy here, but I, keep in mind, what the question I'm going to ask you when I get back to you, Liz, is why? Why Why are why are these programs not being supported? Who are these people who don't want these programs? Let's But let's go to uh, Andy Olson uh, from the Environmental Law and Policy Center. Uh, you're part of uh, a group that's been uh, in favor of the Rural Energy for America po- program, uh, also known as REAP, R-E-A-P. Um, you've got a site called farmenergy.org. I've got that link to my website. Uh, tell me uh, what happened to that program in this current iteration of the Farm Bill. Uh, sure. And I'll just say first that uh, overall, you know, what we're seeing in, in this bill during a time of great economic pain in agriculture is that they're doing the opposite of what most Americans want, and they're actually increasing the pain in uh, farming country and rural areas. Uh, ELPC has worked mm-hmm. on the energy programs of the Farm Bill since 2003, and the key program is REAP, and that serves every agricultural sector by helping uh, advance renewable energy and energy efficiency. And this bill itself would have um, totally eliminated that section of the Farm Bill. It kept the programs on paper, but it would have eliminated all the funding, mandatory and what the insiders call baseline funding, and used that funding for other purposes. Um, And then even worse, we saw an amendment, and this is a ray of hope, actually, Mike, but we saw an an (laughs) amendment from Representative Biggs from Arizona, um, which would have completely, um, you know, take them – out of the farm bill uh, entirely. Um, and 
that was defeated with a stunning bipartisan 82% vote of the House in opposition, a uh, vote of 340 to 74. And, and that was just great to see because, you know, this is America in 2018. Almost nothing has 82% support. So we're really glad to see that. Representative Rodney Davis of Illinois actually led the opposition on the floor. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Illinois delegation has done great work on this over the years. So, you know, we're, we're hopeful that going forward to the Senate, that the Senate picks up in this message that these programs are strongly supported and maintains and improves them, including increased funding. So more specifically, what does the REAP program do for more rural locations for farmers? Sure. Uh, REAP provides grants and loan guarantees to farmers and rural small businesses. So if a farm wants to put up solar panels or wind turbine or um, invest in energy efficiency, it, it helps them do that. And we've seen a lot of farmers use that to generate clean energy on their operations and also to create new income streams from uh, selling that renewable renewable energy externally. And, um, you know, they can also cut their input costs with energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. And what this does is it really spurs the market forward towards more energy efficiency and more clean energy. And it has really helped transform and enlarge the idea of farm energy far beyond just, you know, ethanol, which it pretty much was when this all got started back in 2002. And now farm energy includes wind, solar, uh, geothermal, biomass, uh, just a, a range of really um, you know, great mm-hmm. options yeah. for all right. a healthy environment. We'll, we'll get back to that. It's Andy Olson, Liz Moran-Stelk. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. More Farm Talk when we come back. Did you grow an award-winning garden last year? Yes. But did you receive an award for it? No. Well, then you didn't enter the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards competition when 46 great gardens from 26 city wards were honored. But fear not, Chicago gardeners, we're doing it again this year, starting right now. And we want you to enter your garden. Go to chicagogardeningawards.org and fill out an application. It's free, and your garden might be recognized as one of the best in the city. We're looking for ornamental, vegetable, container, and specialized gardens, such as green roofs, walls, and rain gardens, community gardens, and new this year, urban farms. You have until June 20th to register. And did I mention it's free and presented in part by The Mike Novak Show, Natural Awakening Chicago, and some other pretty great organizations? Go to Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards on Facebook or chicagogardeningawards.org and get your garden in the game. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, where the motto is, you can't always get what you want, especially in terms of farm bills. And that's why we have uh, Andy Olson on the line from the Environmental Law and Policy Center and Liz Moran-Stelk from the Illinois Stewardship Alliance. We were talking about some parts of the farm bill. Again, it was 
There was a, a vote in the House on Friday. It did not go forward. And now we you, you mentioned, Liz, earlier that uh, we have till September 30th. And I'm sure that some people go, oh, heck, that's months away. But you know how <laughs> you know how the legislature works. You know how Congress works. summer break. Uh, the, yeah, they yeah, and, and let me just say something about that, because uh, getting to the, the SNAP program and how part of, one of the contentious issues is that some folks want to make the people who get snap coupons work even harder they've got we well, got we've got to make sure that they're not ripping off the government now uh and uh and so they they want to put all these uh various uh uh work requirements uh for for folks who get uh, snap uh coupons and, and my feeling is i'll tell you what congress if you can prove that you work then mm-hmm. we'll do the same thing, but because the Congress doesn't work very efficiently either, and they take they take a lot of vacations. So my feeling is, it's what what's go- good for the goose is good for the gander. But uh, Liz, uh, uh, talking about uh, uh, September thirtieth, that's actually going to come very quickly, isn't it? Yeah, especially in an, an election year when um, Congress isn't planning to spend much time working talking about substantive issues. So, so my question to both of you, uh, and we'll start with you, Liz. Are we more dysfunctional than we usually are, or is this just normal dysfunction in Washington D.C.? <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's. Um, I think it. I'd like to say that it, this is not normal because in, the Farm Bill has a long history of being cooperative and bipartisan, and um, you know, in part that that has been because the um, SNAP was part of the of the Farm Bill, and so there was. You know, everyone had some skin in the game, whether you were rural or urban, um, and and uh, but that hasn't been the case recently. Where you know, in August, in when we ran Decatur, there was a House um, Farm Bill listening session, and the chairman, Chairman Conway, Mike Conway, and Representative Ronnie Davis of Illinois, they said they're really proud that the House Agriculture Committee is the most bipartisan in Congress, and they really you know get their work done together. But that isn't how it has played out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, you know, deeply concerned about an incredibly partisan um, farm bill that will come up to this deadline. And then, then what will happen is there'll have to be an extension of the farm bill voted on um, before a new one comes up. I can uh, tell you more about that if you like. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to make a prediction right now that they'll get nothing done and they'll have to extend the old farm mm-hmm. bill. It's, it's, you know, kick it down the road a yep. little bit. Uh, uh, and you said, yep, there, Andy. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, we saw in 2014 the farm bill was extended uh, two or three times. And um, I expect this year, it's my personal view, that it'll be uh, extended again. And, you know, basically what we're seeing is a lot of dysfunction in American democracy. It's fairly broken. And, you know, we're seeing this in a lot of different areas. As Liz said, you know, typically the farm bill has been an area of great bipartisan cooperation. Um, you know, they're, they focus in rural areas, and um, right now they're hurting the rural areas with this bill, which fortunately went down. Uh, but really what we're seeing in America is that voters have lost power to donors, and we're losing our democracy, and we need to turn out, we need to all get active, speak up on the farm bill, and to, you know, take our democracy back. I look at this farm bill. The, the thing that, that concerns me a little bit is, the, as I mentioned earlier, the reason it went down on Friday had nothing to do with the policies that both of you uh, are in favor of. It didn't uh, even have to do with the farm bill. R- really, it had very little to do. It may be some, it, some, somewhat with, with SNAP, uh, but mostly immigration. 
Uh, so what's what can you do, either of you or your organizations, to make sure that your policies get implemented, that get included into this farm bill? Because it, it looks as though right now the way the farm bill stands, uh, uh, the Congress is not interested in that. Andy? Well, I, I think what we're going to do is we're going to keep working with members and with uh, farm groups and uh, environmental energy groups and to keep informing the public about what's at stake here. And, you know, it's not just what we can do, but it's what everybody who's a citizen in this democracy can do. And so, you know, we all need to learn about what's going on and to share the word on social media and speak out and, you know, demand that Congress do better. Uh, Liz, same question to you. Yeah, well, we see this, you know, this this bill going down um, as as a real opportunity, a potential real opportunity to go back to the drawing board and get the things in the farm bill with mandatory baseline funding that we really care about, including all of the good work that USDA is already doing to build a local food system. So what we have been doing, what our members have been doing in order to get the word out, because talking about the farm bill is really complicated, that we decided we wanted to get as many people in small, like in living rooms and in kitchens all Mm -hmm. over the state. And so we created a dishing on the farm bill guide and our members are hosting dishing parties all over the state. We had one yesterday, Jody and Beth Osmond at Cedar Valley Sustainable Farm had Mm -hmm. members of their CSA come out. We sat outside on picnic benches on a beautiful evening and we talked about what's going on with the farm bill. We brought materials for every person there to write a letter to their member of Congress to say simply, Here's why I here's why why uh, a more just a local food system you know matters to me and these are the um, the policies that I want to see and what we're what we're seeing like um uh, like Andy said it's all about um, continuing the pressure and then you know I think um, I, I think the fact is that all of these issues are connected because we know that we also do need to solve our immigration uh, challenges that we have. Uh, and, and you mentioned uh, uh, Jody uh, and, Beth at, and, Cedar Beth, Valley. and Beth at Cedar Valley. I've been out there. I uh, supported her in her run for Congress. Uh, unfortunately, she did not uh, get past the primary, but uh, they're good people, and uh, they they work hard. This, this is the kind of thing they do. Uh, you mentioned these, these sit-downs. Uh, you've got one coming up in Chicago, don't you? Yes. Oh no, Mike! I don't have the date in front of me. Oh, that's okay. But you can so go I'm to their gonna, website. It's it's on your yeah, website. Yeah, you can go to our website. It's uh, um it's ilstewards.org or on our Facebook. We have events for um, and uh, it's coming to me now May twenty third. It's in Lincoln Park, six to seven thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll just you know that'll be one that's a great opportunity for folks in Chicago yeah. to come. Um, this is a little different because it's at the the host is having at the public library because yeah. we want to wow. have more people turn out than just, you know, sort of a living room conversation with friends. So it's a really great opportunity for folks in Chicago yeah. to come in here. About and I saw another on. one at Radical Root in Libertyville coming up after that. In Libertyville, yes, on June 2nd. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, you can go to the uh, Illinois Stewardship Alliance site, and again, the links are at my uh, website, MikeNovak.net. And, and sign up to host your own. <laughs> and Right, you can do that. And, and Andy, uh, uh, I'm going to give you the last word here because we're about to break. Okay, well, you know, I just want to, you know, emphasize um, that there's a lot of opportunity yet for our country to come to grips with our problems and to, you know, to solve them. You know, we, we're a can-do country uh, at our best, and with all these various problems we face, we can overcome them.
And you said, you told me, you were going to go positive on us, and I'm so glad you did at the end. And we really haven't had time to talk about some of the other energy issues that, uh, we'll, that you're We'll addressing. dig into that, though. Uh, but, and we'll get you back. Andy, write to me, and that's something we can talk about uh, with your uh, your work at uh, ELPC. Uh, Andy Olson, Liz Moranstel, thank you so much. Uh, good luck to both of you on the Farm Bill. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be back after the news. Captain's log, Stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847-A new secure line has been opened for communication. 877-711-5611. Now please make enjoy for second hour capitalist radio. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy. Wealthy, wide awake, lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And I do want to get that information out. Uh, I have a feeling we might get some phone calls in this hour of the show. 877-711-5611. We are uh, live on Facebook uh, for those of you who are watching there, uh, but if you're just listening old school on the A&M, uh, you can always call us at 877-711-5611 because we're going to be talking in this hour about some stuff that maybe you've heard about, maybe you've not heard about. Uh, it might be good for your yard. It might be good for the planet in general. <laughs> that might be a, a good thing. Uh, we've got three guests in the studio. I'm I'm very happy to have here, and I'm going to uh, – please excuse me. I know who you are, but I'm using the cheat sheet anyway. Uh, on my left, your right, <laughs> is Dan Donnelly, a certified golf superintendent for North Shore Country Club in Glenview, Illinois. Uh, and Dan and I – uh, go back a few years now. We've, <laughs> you know, when you look back, Dan, we've done a few things together now. Uh, and step right into the mic there uh, when you when you speak, because uh, we're sharing microphones here as well. Uh, we've done TV. I've gone out. I've seen your mad scientist act uh, behind the scenes. Uh, he's got. We always he's, have fun. You've done yeah, Facebook Live out yeah. there at the golf course. Um, he's got his compost bins. He's got his wigglers out there. He's got his <laughs> his plots of land with the different turf and the different uh, um, uh, soil amendments that he uses, and it's fascinating. I mean, what you're doing out there. 
I get the feeling that not all golf su- superintendents are, are doing this, are they? It's a sustainable approach that more and more people are interested in, but it's always a lot of fun, and it's, uh, it's kind of like the next horizon in soil and plant health, incorporating some of these materials and biochar certainly being one of them. So we, we will we will get back to that because it's great stuff. Uh, standing next to him is Dominic Brosen. Is that how you pronounce it, Dominic? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. okay. And Dominic is a soil scientist with uh, the uh, Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. We talk about them all the time on the show. Um, Deborah Shore is a friend of the show. MWRD. Uh, oh. MWRD, sometimes MWRDGC, because right. uh, that's your Twitter handle. Yeah. Um, and uh, what is it you do over there at MWRD? Uh, so I'm a soil scientist in our research department. So I'm within our biosolids program. So we look at uh, lots of different ways to beneficially reuse the biosolids, which are the solids coming out of the wastewater treatment process. Right. So, uh, and uh, within the research department, we, uh, you know, we, we oversee some of the composting operations that we're doing right now. Uh, we also have farmland programs with the biosolids and then, uh, air-dried products that go to the parks and more local distribution. So uh, we, we look at all those processes. We always are looking for ways to improve those processes. And You know, it's, it's interesting. You, you sent a, a PDF to us about uh, 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 biosolid products that you're trying to get out to gardeners and landscapers in the area uh, and even golf superintendents. And um, Peggy and I saw that. We picked up a copy of that at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. Um, and uh, we looked at each other and said, we're going to have to talk about this. So it, it, it has come full circle. And now here you are. And biosolids, you mentioned the key words, biosolids. And I'm sure that some people have heard the word biosolids, uh, and they don't know exactly what that means. How would you describe biosolids? I think you just did, but let's say it again so now folks yeah. are tuned in. And I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit more in the process. So the solids from the treatment plants go through an anaerobic digestion process, and that's a heated process in a very large tank that essentially breaks down a lot of the solids through microbial processes. So that really starts to enhance a lot of the microbial processes but, but we in the we gotta, we got to back up uh-huh. one step. we got to back up one step. Sure. What is the, the original product? We're dealing with a waste product here, Correct. Okay? Correct. And I think, I think there's a kind of taboo, mm-hmm. and people don't want to talk about that. And they don't want to say, and you guys, I'm sure, don't like the word waste. Because it, the connotation is bad for mm-hmm. what you're doing. But the, so the, the acceptable term has become biosolids. Right. But in some circles, even that is sort of a loaded, fra- a loaded word. Uh, okay, so we're starting with a waste product that you turn into something you call biosolids. Yeah, you know, the industry as a whole is really moving towards resource recovery. So you're right. We, we are trying to move away from the word waste or wastewater treatment. Mm-hmm. We're really – we consider them – Resource recovery facilities now is how we're trying to reframe it because there's a lot of good stuff in the water that we can actually capture and reuse while we. Well, it's nutrient rich. Uh, Nutrients uh, and pertinent to this conversation, uh, you know, trained as a soil scientist, what I recognize is the amount of carbon that's stored in the biosolids. And uh, what we don't really realize right now is that a lot of our soils are depleted of carbon. We've been, whether it's conventional agriculture or if we live in an urban setting, we have to find ways to get carbon back into the soil, and that's one of the big benefits of the biosolids. And that's what we're all about here today. All right, and the third person, we got a minute till the break, is uh, Tom Marrero. Uh, and by the way, Dominic's a Ph.D., Tom's a Ph.D. Dan, are you a Ph.D.? No. No? Okay, good. Thank He's you. He's the real doctor. <laughs> the real doctor. I, 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 Honorary. I, I, I'm an end user. I'm safe. <laughs> I feel better. 
Uh, Tom Herrero is uh, with Wakefield Biochar in Riverside, Illinois. You got like 20 seconds, but when we come back from the break, I'll give you a little more time. Quickly, what is Wakefield Biochar? Sure, Wakefield Biochar is a seller of biochar. That's our main focus. <laughs> that's, that's truly why we're here. We go from small to large. Isn't that called begging the question? That's the real begging the question. All right. Uh, Tom and Dominic and Dan are all right back on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. From boat to doorstep, you can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. This is tree keeper number 417, hydrated, loppers sharpened, and reporting that Openlands has tree keeper summer and fall courses in 2018. Tree keepers are trained volunteers who advocate and care for nature's most majestic plants, trees, around the Chicago area. Trust me, you'll be glad you took the course. The summer course is Tuesdays and Thursdays in Arlington Heights. The fall course is Sundays and Thursdays at Wells Park in Chicago. To learn more, visit openlands.org slash treekeepers. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color perms and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty, you no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. You're listening to Weekends on WCGO. Check out our Facebook live stream brought to you in part by our exclusive signage partner, Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Located at 3450 West Devon Avenue, visit them on the web at fastsigns.com slash 80. Catch Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall every Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on 1590 WCGO. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki and our conversation about stuff you put in your soil. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of stuff you soil, but in particular uh, here, uh, biochar and biosolids. When we left, uh, we were talking to uh, Tom Marrero, who uh, is co-owner of Wakefield Biochar. Uh, and you were kind of explaining, and you, get, you brought some samples here. I did. Uh, we've, we've got our own uh, uh, samples of biochar conditioner uh, all right, this. How much is in this bag that you gave me? So I think you guys have the one-pound bags. All right, and how mm-hmm. much? How, what kind of an area will this cover? So we we brought those to market because we felt like the urban uh, gardener uh, needed something smaller than those large twenty-five, fifty-pound bags that you might get at some of the larger 
stores. So this would be something great for if you're doing uh, pots and and. Uh, oh, so so this won't cover your your yard. You know, obviously. this would be great if you have maybe spots that need to be treated. You know, maybe yeah. if you got a dog or something, and and the dog. You know, your brown spots. This biochar may actually help remove that really? sort of issue. All right. Okay. We, well, we got a backup then, and, too, and about biochar. I was going to say, I think the website said this covered an 8x4 area. Something um, like that. Yeah. The, we, we would recommend a cubic foot of biochar for an 8x4 raised bed garden. So a cubic foot is, is, is a few of these, but that gives you about four to six inches deep of a good mix of biochar. All right. We still haven't explained yeah. what biochar so, is. What because is biochar? People, people out there going, what? Was biochar, and, and we've actually gotten a, already a comment on Facebook about biosolids, and it was it went in the direction that I predicted, which is some people are just think this is a, a bad idea, uh, and we'll and we'll get into that in a second. We're on the biochar. I want to explain to folks what biochar is right now. So, uh, Tom, what's the process? What is why sure. why is there biochar? So biochar is great because it starts with a biomass. So it could be biosolids, it could be wood, it could be grasses. We like, as far as our company, we're using biomass that's a waste product. We're trying to take things that would normally be out there, like what happens when a tree falls in the forest? Well, you don't hear it. You don't hear it. Nobody's but, there. But it does decompose and it does become carbon dioxide and other greenhouse mm-hmm. gases. And so what we try to do is take wood waste that would normally decompose and convert that into a very stable carbon form, which is biochar. So whether we start with a biosolid or a wood or some other product that's a waste, we can convert that through a thermal process that's heating it with no oxygen. And well, oh, okay, wait a second. Uh, stop right there. Yeah. Doesn't uh, fire need oxygen to it, burn? It does, but you can use radiant heat from around the outside of a, like a, I'm going to use the word kiln. You know, we can heat the inside of it and we can get it up to temperatures four to 500 degrees Celsius or even higher uh, to treat the woods. And what you do is you actually, uh, when there's oxygen present, you get the combustion, you get the flames, you get the fire, but you don't get that with pyrolysis. And pyrolysis has been around for, for, for forever. Well, well one a- of the things that if you look up biochar, and I have some information on my website, MikeNovak.net, uh, is that it's been used by cultures for thousands of years. Thousands of years, yeah. Uh, so why is it they knew about this and we don't, uh, and we're just rediscovering this? How does, how does Well, that- I think we get into conspiracy theories then, but we, <laughs> what I think a lot of things happened, at least in the United States, is that uh, prior to like World War II, there was certainly probably a greater appreciation of organic farming. And then we started to develop very large facilities to feed the beast of the World War uh, machine. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden when the war was over, they, these companies that were making chemicals and things like that still needed to, to thrive. And so they found out they could make chemical fertilizers. And so all of a sudden a lot of the U.S. agriculture – went to chemical fertilizers versus organic methods to... Well, a lot of it, it, it started actually in World War One, ammonium nitrate. And, yeah. and, and the uh, uh, the Bosch, Zaber, uh, 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 Haber-Bosch. Haber-Bosch, thank you. Uh, I, I knew there was, it was a Haber or something. Mm-hmm. Haber-Bosch process, 1909, and then they discovered that you can uh, make ammonium nitrate. And uh, unfortunately, the first use for it was not uh, fertilizer. It was bombs. And then yeah. the second use for it was not fertilizer. It was bombs in World War II. Right. And then we came out of World War II and we went, well, wait a second. We got all this ammonium nitrate. Got to uh, do something with it. Yeah. And, right. and other chemicals, defoliants and that sort of thing. And so we had chemicals in search of a market. Right. And we created the market. 
uh, because it was really important for these companies to continue to exist, at least for them. And and that and that's partly why we went down that road. Sure. It was an economics thing. It was yeah. an issue of a raising, you know, growing population, and so farmers did what they had to do, and they found ways to do it. So, and what it I, seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. It does, but it, what, we, what we found is that's not the best idea for the future of uh, a global community. Right. And uh, now, looking at what biochar can actually do, based off of what we've seen from all over the world from thousands of years ago to today, uh, the biochar as a soil amendment has m- m- a really strong impact, a positive impact on what can happen to whether it's crops or your grass in your yard, flowers. Uh, and and it's we can go the environmental discussion. We can go just directly how it impacts you as a as a, a gardener. Well, let's let's talk just a little bit about how it works. Why is it that it does what it does? Because uh, there, as you, as you pointed out, there's a difference between charcoal and biochar. Right. Charcoal mm-hmm. is not the same thing that that uses oxygen in the process, so it doesn't create the same thing. And 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 one of the things that uh, I write about on on the blog is that biochar uh, conserves carbon, and that's kind of what you're trying to do is make sure you're not releasing the carbon into the atmosphere, but keeping it in the soil. So the the manu- when it's manufactured, you're actually changing the structure of the carbon in the in the wood or in whatever the biomass is to be a very uh, stable uh, aromatic rings, graphite like structure that's got a lot of pore space. And so that's really what you're putting on there. A lot of people may be more familiar with terms like activated carbons. Sure. So activated carbons have a lot of surface area, and they're there for— Or activated charcoal. Activated charcoal, right. So they're there for uh, absorbing gases or cleaning uh, things out of liquids. What a biochar is—actually, I kind of describe activated carbons and charcoals like like it's a high-end sports car. It's got a very specific purpose, and it goes really nice. But when you want it just to drive around the city, you're kind of hurting yourself. A biochar is actually a little bit uh, more u- useful. It mm-hmm. actually has a lot of different chemical properties that you don't find in activated carbons that really help it interact with the soil and interact with microbes in the soil and allow them to flourish. And the point you just made about biochar being very porous, that's right. tying into the microbes and the other mm-hmm. th- things that are going to help in your soil. Correct. Like a, 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 a good biochar can be, you know, ours is 375 meters squared per gram. The bag that you have Which in your means hands. what? A lot of surface. Yeah, uh, I think a, a gram is like a soccer field. You know. Well, uh, as something, and let's let's get over to Dan because when I went over to visit Dan, something you described to me uh, when in, when Tom and I were over at your place, uh, you were talking about, and you're talking about surface area because there's lots of pores in biochar, and it gloms on the things. It holds on to compost and it holds on to other soil amendments. Can you explain kind of how that works? Sure. And speak well, right into that, Mike. Um, well, biochar is kind of unique in the sense that it touches the three legs of the stool. It helps soils in its physical states, you know, with that pore space, holding water and air both, and bulk density, improves bulk density generally. Um, and it also helps the chemical component in holding on to the nutrients and, and not holding them on so tight that the plants can still utilize them later on. So it helps with any kind of leaching or loss issues. Um, and then the biological component, as Tom mentioned, you know, the scientists are really trying to understand that now, and they're digging deep. Sorry for the pun, but they're digging deep into trying to understand <laughs> what, the, uh, what the microbes are doing with the, the, that pore space, whether it's just protective habitat or some of the materials that are left behind if it's a slightly dirty char. And that's why it's pretty common as an application to see char mixed with either biosolids or compost because 
they team up very well yeah. together. And and one of the things I noticed, I saw a video that you did. Uh, I saw a couple of videos that you did where you talk about this. And, and, and if you run a golf course, if you're a superintendent of the golf course, you've got greens. And greens are based on sand, and sand doesn't have a lot of nutrients. So from what I understand and my limited information is that the biochar holds on to nutrients so that you don't have to have all compost or soil underneath that you can still have sand and have the grass grow. Is that correct? Right. So you're absolutely right, Mike. So we're kind of married to sand because it drains well and it doesn't compact. So as you can imagine, a four to 6,000 square foot putting green gets a lot of foot traffic from us mowing, mm-hmm. people playing on it. So compaction is a big issue for us. And drainage, of course, to keep play and plant health going as well. So that's what kind of got me addicted, if you will, to biochar is because okay. uh, the industry standard for us is using peat. And peat's not really sustainable anymore. You know, basically you're you're in a wetland somewhere harvesting these materials. And we have a 20-year-old research green on site that's, I think, the oldest research facility out there now. You know, because universities usually don't hold on to those types of uh, plots too long. So, and we had Tom Granado involved. Tom was the lead scientist for MWRD. So we have biosolids as part of that research effort. And So um, do you use biosolids as well? Oh, yeah. We just, <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you kidding <laughs> we me? We just ordered our 20 semi loads. So, uh, no. Yeah, Back bet. up the truck. And... <laughs> <laughs> it's free. So, what the heck? That's great fertilizer. Yeah. Um, but, at any rate, the one thing I wanted to add, though, because we kind of add, we're kind of talking about biochar in such a way where it's kind of this exotic uh, new age thing. But really, um, I know you and Peggy both really uh, focus on natural gardening and, and prairies and whatnot and have seen these areas burn. That's usually a common practice. Well, well, if you ever see these naturalized areas burn, it's super hot, right? You can't get near those prairie mm-hmm. lands when they're on, on fire. And if you study down low, you'll see it smoldering. And basically, the, uh, the area down low is being starved of oxygen. So there's your natural pyrolysis right there. And most people would argue that our corn belt that's really organic rich and uh, is responsible for growing much of our corn and soybeans its higher level of productivity is tied to those years and decades of those natural burns, not just depositing ash, but depositing char. Because when you really watch how those systems burn, it's being starved with oxygen down below because the tops are just using it, consuming that oxygen so rapidly, yeah. it's smoldering down mm-hmm. below. So there's your natural pyrolysis, and it's really no different in a, uh, in a forest system either. So... All right, and we've got questions yeah, coming and, in and about uh, whether you can make your own uh, biochar. And one goes back right to the process of how do we make it. You mentioned pyrolysis. You started talking about it, and somebody... And I, and I saw, again, another video you, you put together, uh, Dan, where you showed how you could take a couple of uh, drums and put one inside the other and create your own biochar, but is that even practical? Uh, so if not, where do you guys... So, for instance, Tom, your company, where, where do you get the biochar? Do you so, make it yourself? So we have it in Alabama and also out of Missouri. And so the because of the volumes that we're doing, we have people who are manufacturing for us to our specifications. But yeah. uh, but we're because we're seeing such a nice increase in the industry, that's a great problem to have. You can do it by yourself. Um, there are small stoves. I think one's called Rocket Stove. There's a couple other types that you could probably go to Amazon or someplace and, and, and do some searches for it. The only uh, – I, I think in a way it's, it's not bad, but I would say the only concern is when you do pyrolysis, there are some gases that come off and, and – not that that's a bad thing they'll be taken care of, but you have to prevent them from condensing back onto the char. And, mm. and if you're not familiar yeah. with the systems or comfortable with what you're doing, 
if you have these gases condensed back on, you're actually putting oils in the char, and you're, it's now considered more of a bio-coal. And you don't necessarily want to put coal in your garden because the oils are not going to be helpful to your plant growth. It's very interesting. So you're probably better off purchasing biochar, it sounds to me. I mean, it's the same, almost the same thing with compost tea, uh, that where a lot of folks will want to make their own compost tea, but what, what, yeah. what are the inputs? What do you have? And the problem, and I don't want to even get into the compost tea because there's, you know, I'm on the fence with compost tea right now. My feeling is... And, and Dan you, uses it. <laughs> and, and I know you use it, but you got to prove it to, to me it works because I've seen studies and, I, and, and I've heard so many arguments on both sides. I, I don't even know what to think about compost tea anymore. Well, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it, we talk about this in a way that when it's going on naturally, it seems pretty simple. But whether it's making compost, compost tea, or char, it's actually very, very technical. And Tom's right. You know, there's different ways of... Temperatures, parent material, the consistency of the material as a feedstock, how it can be um, thoroughly heated, and then how it's post-treated, all kind of affects its end use and the effectiveness. And just like using a poor-quality compost can hurt you, using a poor-quality char can also harm you. Ah, Well, that that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. So in terms of application rates... What do people need to know about that? Is there, is there a basic application rate for biochar? So we try to keep it as simple as we can. And, and, and going to what Dan said, not every biochar is the same. So some biochars have higher ash content. Some biochars are, are higher carbon and surface areas. We generally say 10% by volume if you're mixing it in the soil. So if you have, uh, you know, uh, again, a, a 8 by 4 raised bed garden, really one cubic foot of biochar and you mix it in about four inches deep and that's going to be great. But 10% by volume of biochar is a nice stable number to use. And in your estimation, and and believe me, Dominic, we're getting to you. The next segment is going to start with you because we got PhDs in the room that I don't want to go waste. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, but in, in your estimation, Tom, what is the advantage of this? What does this does? What does this do for your soil and how will it help uh, the average person's garden. Sure. I mean, the, the basic benefits are you're going to have uh, water retention, but water that's retained in the char is very available to the plants. You're going to have the ability to uh, be more effective with your fertilizer because the fertilizer is going to be able to be transferred to the roots more effectively with the biochar because it will hold it. And the microbes that live in the char is the number one thing that I like to tout that biochar does better than anything else. It's going to improve the soil life. You have an entire world living under the ground. And biochar is there to help make it better. Because, Peggy, as we both know, it's the, the biology, biology, stupid. stupid. <laughs> uh, which is what He's we got always. That one down. Oh, yeah. We've Especially got, as I'm typing, I even yeah, got that. Yeah. And, and, and because we're just, well, you know what we're discussing on the show right now? Science. All right. That's what we do. We're all about science here. Okay. Uh, Mike, but the, I think there's an important point to make. Which, well, which I'll is, tell you what, we're going to have to break here for a second. Hold on to that okay. point. Uh, that guy who was just uh, about to interrupt was Dan Donnelly. We heard Tom Marrero. Dominic Bros is here from MWRD. And when we come back, you make your point, Dan, and then we'll get into the whole conversation of biosolids. Uh, and all the questions we have. And we, there's a lot pouring in. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Want to have a healthier, more eco-friendly Green Diva kitchen? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. The main characteristics of a Green Diva kitchen are that it produces delicious food, is healthy, eco-friendly, 
and low stress. Let's start by using more dish towels and cloth napkins because paper products make up one-third of municipal waste. Buying bulk dry goods saves money and reduces waste. Please recycle more. An estimated 80% of what Americans throw away is recyclable, yet our recycling rate is only 28%. And of course, always try to buy local and organic food whenever possible. I'm Green Diva Meg. Please visit thegreendivas.com to find useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. Whether it's March, July, September, or December, if you're a gardener, any time of year is perfect for a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region and one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, What to Do in the Garden, and even my column on the inside back page of every issue. I make up stuff and they pay me for it. Go figure. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere. But go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. What is this place? You're in uncharted territory. What do you mean? Where are we? I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know what it is. Tell us your name, please. 1590. WCGO Chicago. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And uh, our Facebook lines are lighting up, uh, if not the phone lines, but that's okay because uh, we do a lot of our conversations here uh, on Facebook. And we need to uh, – you were going to make a point, Dan, before we broke, and then we go talk to Dominic. Yes. Um, so when you look at some of the old studies with biochar scientifically, there's like 3,000 or so papers out there in the last dozen years, I'd say. But um, so the scientific community is really engaging deep into this, like I mentioned earlier. But and um, there are and there are critics. I mean, there are sure there, you go. Uh, if you type in biochar out there, there's there, there are debunkers out there saying, you know, this is this is not so again, real you, science. You know, you get into the weeds a little bit here. But I, I think it's important to at least mention that when you run across those types of uh, studies, um, for example, there's only like two. Steve Vaughn at USDA, I think, has done most work with in my area as far as turf grass goes and biochar. But uh, there's been two other studies, and they use grasses as a feedstock, and uh, which produces a lot of ash and adjusts the pH fairly high. And when they utilize that material, they did not pre-satisfy it. Or I don't know what really there's, there's different terms they use. But basically, we talked about the pore space Tom mm-hmm. mentioned and the CEC, right? The cation yeah. exchange capacity. That's the process of holding on to the nutrients, which is, is a part of the whole deal. And if you you really should read up about CEC if you want to understand how right. this works. So that's why mixing it with like biosolids or compost is such a winner because you're basically introducing these materials with some nutrients already associated with it. If you introduce a clean char and you actually graft the plant's response, it's not unusual to see a dip because basically it's acting like a sponge, the biochar, and attracting these nutrients and perhaps in lieu of the plant getting it. So so it, it, that's what I mean. It gets complex when you get in the weeds of this stuff, but when you do get in the weeds of it, you get even more excited about it. Mm-hmm. It's just learning how to use it. 
Uh, that is uh, uh, Dan Donnelly, who's the certified golf <coughs> course superintendent for North Shore Country Club in Glenview, Illinois. Also in the room is Tom Marrero, uh, Ph.D. of Wakefield Biochar in Riverside. And uh, we have Dominic Bros from the MWRD, Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. And we are getting the most... Uh, let's see, intense response. Can I use that word uh, when we talk? Because we haven't talked a whole lot about uh, biosolids. We did. We started earlier. Um, and uh, Peggy, do you have some of those comments there? And maybe we can use that to get this started. Well, a couple of them are, are questions, but the initial comment was um, a farm across the street from somebody who lives a little bit more rural, who's an organic gardener, puts down biosolids every year. And she says it smells all summer. It stinks, she can't hang her clothes out, and she's a little nervous about eating any of the crops that would be there. And that's kind of the wrap on biosolids. People think you're putting waste products down on your field. How can that possibly be safe? So uh, the odor issue, it probably does stink. Um, The uh, biosolids that we tend to send to more rural or farmland areas do have more odor associated with them. It doesn't make them any more unsafe than the material that we say in the dance golf course. And how uh, long does the odor last, do you know? Uh, usually until a good rain. Okay. Uh, so once once you, now whether you put biosolids down on your lawn or you send out to a farm field, once it rains or you mm-hmm. waters, it incorporates that carbon into the soil and, and those odors subside. Uh, and I do want to make one point. We were talking earlier about chemical fertilizers, and to produce them are very fossil fuel intensive. And the reason why is there are only two natural mechanisms to convert nitrogen gas into a form that plants can use. One is lightning, and the second is soil microorganisms. So all that carbon going into the <laughs> soil, feeding the soil microorganisms, they're actually transforming nitrogen into a form plants can actually use. Uh, so this is one of the biggest benefits of biosolids. The other big benefit of biochar is called uh, water holding capacity in the soil. So we're looking at uh, perhaps a biosolids derived well, well, like biochar. Almost, well, like compost does the same thing, right? It does. Biochar more so, though, because it does increase the porosity of the material much mm-hmm. more than uh, compost. We actually had some biosolids made into biochar through the USDA, and they put it into a, a beaker of about 200 milliliters of water, and mm-hmm. they added this biosolids derived biochar, and it just swelled up like a sponge. Wow. Uh, it just pulled in all that water, and it holds all that water. So in addition to holding the nutrients like Dan described, it'll also keep a lot of water in your soil long after uh, it would otherwise dry out. So the person who asked the question and said how badly the odor is uh, wrote back and says, not true, it even smells on Christmas. Mm. Hmm. That might be something else that's happening at the farm. It could be spreading something yeah. else. It could be they, perhaps... Uh, they may be doing some on-farm composting yeah, that composting or yard waste. Or... And, uh, for example, for our composting operation, if we receive yard waste, such as grass clippings, we have to incorporate those into a compost pile and break them down within five days. Otherwise, you get a lot of odors coming off. So that's probably or, not related to biosolids. Or perhaps it's manure spreading or, or something. Yeah, especially So what's spreading. the difference between a product like yours and, say, malorganite, which is also a biosolid. Yeah, malorganite is uh, Milwaukee's uh, biosolids that they send to a large furnace and they dry it out. Yeah, I've, been, about, I've been to the furnace. Yeah. I, I got took the tour, mm-hmm. got covered in the, the, <laughs> the dust. malorganite dust. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so it's, it's a pellet form. Uh, it's about 96% dry. Uh, and it's just a lot easier to run through, say, a conventional uh, spreader that you might use on your lawn. Uh, our product, we make a composted product. 
uh, which you really wouldn't use as a chop dressing on your lawn. You'd use that to incorporate in the soil. And we, we do an air-dried product, which is just we, we do it open air. So we don't use a furnace. We just allow the sun to dry it out. And and a lot of parks will use that as a, a lawn fertilizer. All right. And and one of the questions that comes in then, and it's a question I've had about malorganite and, and other biosolids is, Yes, you're uh, for for years with Malorganite. The question was their heavy metal concentration, and they 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 actually shut down the company. I guess in the late '90s, and said we're going to fix that, and they did. Uh, but there are other things in our water that, because we're talking about a waste product. There are pharmaceuticals that get into our water. There are home hormones uh, and those kinds of things. How, how do you address the issue when people say how you know how do we control those in biosolids? Well, at NWRD, we actually uh, collaborate with a lot of universities for this ongoing research. It's something that we're very interested Mm in, uh, the issue of emerging contaminants, what's in the biosolids. One thing we have to remember is that we can detect these chemicals down to the parts per trillion and parts per billion concentrations. So they're extremely low concentrations. And we've seen some studies where they would compare house dust to biosolids, and the concentrations in house dust would sometimes be even higher than what we would see in a biosolid. So what we have to really depend on our risk assessments, looking at are we exposed to these compounds at what concentration and are they harmful at the concentrations. And time and time again, we see, no, they're just too small in concentration. Uh, and when we move to, say, a composting process, we've, what we've seen is that actually helps break a lot of these compounds down to non-detect levels. All right. And folks, uh, for those of you who are uh, afraid of using these products because that what what Dominic is describing is science. Okay, because when you're talking parts per trillion, uh, that's it's very low. It's, I mean, and, and there are risk factors uh, all around us. You can right. get hit by a truck walking across well, the street, too. And a know? lot of these compounds, we have to remember, they're in biosolids because we use them in our households at mm-hmm. a million times stronger concentration. Yeah. Uh, whether it's uh, the packaging that our food comes in whether it's a, a, a hair product or a cleaning product, right. the soap that we use. Everything we absorb. Yeah. So, you know, biosolids are interesting because they're sort of a, a snapshot of our society and what we're using in our households. So interesting. Yeah, we do, we really... do monitor these compounds. It's something we're interested in. But we do feel it's perfectly safe to use these compounds even in your garden or to use the biosolids even in your garden uh, to grow food in. And I assume that there are other uh, water reclamation districts districts across the country that are doing the very same thing that you're doing right now. Yeah, the US EPA, they they really promote beneficial reuse. I mean, this is a lot of good carbon and a lot of uh, it's a good resource we want to recover because we don't want to send that material to landfills, which would be, you know, potentially the other option or uh, incinerate it, which some mm-hmm. some districts still do across the country. Uh, we want to actually get it back into the yeah, soil. It's a resource. It's a resource we want to recover and get it back into the soil. And the EPA has uh, standards, and your biosolids meet the Class A EQ, which yeah. means exceptional quality standards. So that's the highest level. Yeah, and there are three things that go into that exceptional quality criteria. There is the pathogen reduction. So for our compost and our Class A material that go to our park parks, uh, those pathogens are virtually non-detect. There's uh, what's called vector attraction. It means you're not going to have flies or other mm-hmm. you know, pests attracted to it. And then metal concentrations is the third, and it's a very important part. So we actually control the metals coming into our plants, and we do that to keep them low enough so that we always meet that EQ criteria, which is EPA's highest standard for biosolids. 
And there's something that I want to say as a non-scientist here, okay? And it's just an observation that I've made over the years as I've talked about this. Because I used to be on the side of those people who say, no biosolids, ever, never, uh, never. And then I talked to scientists. I talked to scientists all over the country. And I went, wait a second, they've got a point here. And one of the points is we are at 7 billion people on this planet, soon to be 9 billion Dan, that gets a ding. Dan, Dan, that's a Dan, negative ding. That's a, that's a Dan, dong. Dan, Dan wanted that. Uh, and if we do not figure out what to do with our own waste, we will be awash in it. We There will be nothing left but waste. So the folks say, I will never use that. I'm saying, well, what's your solution then? Put it in a landfill? Dump it in the ocean like we used to do? What's your What's, what's the answer? What, what have you got? All right, and at least MWRD is coming up with a solution, which is, and we and we are always looking for new solutions. So you know, we're looking at biochar, which is relatively new to the biosolids mm-hmm. world. You know, we've started composting. This is our third year with a vigorous composting program. We're hoping to potentially put that compost in bags that we can make more readily available, like Milorganite. And um, and you take people's compost yard waste. We take yard waste, right? Uh, from landscapers, mm-hmm. uh, and, and but we, we keep that um, to a minimal because, again, we have to use it so readily, otherwise it generates odors. Right. What we really take is wood chips from, okay. from landscapers, tree service companies, pretty much anyone who can ship them and bring them to us. All right, and, and you can go to my website and find all this, and I want Tom to— No, just to add on to what Dominic said is that when you talk about the amount of waste that's going to be generated and how it's increasing and to tout biochar, it's it's really also the process. It's really almost a waste management uh, product as well as a, a, a good product for the soils because it's it's really up to for biosolids it's it's uh, we reduce the volume by ninety percent of what they have for the biosolids uh-huh. to make biochar so you're so you're, you can make your biochar out of biosolids correct as well. we can take the directly from their facility and we would reduce the total volume by about ninety percent so, so maybe that's, that's the answer that's less trucks you know? on the road that's yeah. less uh, issues with uh, land space that's being mm-hmm. used for waste and then you also create a product that is really no longer a biosolid. It is a biochar, which is a very different, even chemically at the chemical level, very different product that helps the soils. All right. Give us a plug for your website and your product there, Tom. Oh, sure. So wakefieldbiochar.com. And our our motto is uh, better soil, better garden, better world. Okay, and Dominic, MWRD is at? MWRD.org. Actually, we also have biosolids.mwrd.org as well. And Dan Donnelly, uh, you got to be a member of the club to get on the course, so uh, I'm not going to say <laughs> that. All right, thanks for being here. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Rick DeMaio next. Once upon a time, oh, like maybe two years ago, it was really hard to buy native plants locally, but not anymore. It's plant sale time, and here's the wonderful news. Wherever you live in the Chicago area, there's a plant sale near you that includes a large variety of native plants. Now, we can't list them all here, but we want you to know there's a great place to find the local sales. Go to chicagolivingcorridors.org for a comprehensive list, or just go to mikenovak.net and click on the plant sale link. Go native or go home. Did you have an award-winning garden last year? Yes? Did you actually receive an award? No? Then you didn't enter the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. We partied like it was 2017, which it sort of was. 46 great Chicago gardens and 26 awards were honored, and we're doing it again this year right now. Go to chicagogardeningawards.org and fill out an application. It's free, and your plot of paradise might be recognized as one of the best in the city. 
We're looking at ornamental, vegetable, container, and specialized gardens, such as green roofs, walls, and rain gardens, community gardens, and new this year, urban farms. You have until June 20th to register. Did I mention it's free and created in part by the Mike Novak Show, Natural Awakening Chicago, and some other pretty excellent organizations? Go to Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards on Facebook or ChicagoGardeningAwards.org and get your garden in the game. Is that too aggressive? It's a new year, and Chicagoans are still looking for new and better ways to get healthier. This is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach our area's growing wellness and sustainability market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 engaged monthly readers. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com. That sound you hear is my time machine letting me know it's time to return to our own world. This is your talk. WCGO. Hang on. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And before we get to uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio, we just found out a very interesting uh, fact from Tom. You got a, you, you're, you, you have a claim to fame here about biochar. I do. I feel bad if I didn't talk about it. So in the, uh, in the 90s, I was at the University of Missouri getting my uh, Ph.D., and my uh, professor, my advisor, was Stanley Manahan. And he and another member of the group uh, actually coined the term biochar hmm. uh, for an academic paper. It was the first time ever in an academic paper the term biochar was used. So although it's been around forever, it was by many different names, and, and, and academically at least, it was first called biochar by Stanley Manahan in, it was 1998. Wow. You get a ding there, pal. All right. <laughs> That's the trivia answer for the day. All right. Let, let, whoa. Uh, I believe have we lost, we've lost Rick. Okay. <laughs> oh. All right, while we're getting Rick back, in 23 seconds, biochar and containers. So biochar and containers, uh, still 10% by volume. Just monitor your water. You can overwater with biochar in a container because it doesn't. the water won't escape as well, and the biochar will hold the water better, and it goes to your roots. So just watch that. Maintain your, your nutrients, and you're fine. And, and while we've got you, uh, Dan, you redid all of the greens at the Country Club last. How are they looking this spring? Oh, they look wonderful. We're going to open a week from yesterday, next week. Wow. So okay. I'm very excited yeah. about so you, that. And even better that you've had all this time where nobody's on them and, uh, and, uh, and everything's looking good because you just rebuilt them from scratch, didn't you? Totally cored them out. And we've got 5% of biochar by volume. We've got biosolids in there represented, uh, vermicompost. So we really try mm-hmm. to capitalize on all these inputs to, to enhance that sand. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it, it, that's one thing. You, you talk about a golf course. It has to be pristine. It has to be beautiful. If those products aren't working, you're going to get tossed out. Uh, so, uh, you use biochar, you use biosolids and they work. Yes, they do. Okay. Let's go to the phone and meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Good morning, Mr. Rick. And how's everything? Are in the you Poconos? sucking up to people who have golf courses again, Mike? Yes, I am. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Rick's joining us from and, the Poconos and, this morning and, too. <laughs> and I will, I will, I will dare to say this on the air right now. I'm going to say, Dan, how'd you like to have Rick DeMaio come out and play at North Shore Country Club? I would love it. Not even love more so, Rick, if you're going to say that we're going to have a wonderful weekend next weekend, weather-wise. Um, 
I don't know about that. <laughs> we seem to have a bad I, I connection the- on the phone this morning. <laughs> Hello, hello, come in. Um, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> you guys. Uh, uh, All right. But but yeah, uh, we're gonna. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna drag you out there on a on a Monday sometime. We're gonna Perfect. go. You'll you'll you, and I'm gonna show you these beautiful greens that uh, that he's got uh, that he put. In. I gotta tag along and see these. Yeah, <laughs> and you gotta see Rick. What I will do is I will drag you behind the scenes. With Dan Donnelly there, because you want to see his vermicomposting operation, you want to see his test plots uh, and what he does and the different inputs he puts into. And he, he you know, he's got these checker checkerboard squares that have different inputs, and you can test for all the different uh, grass diseases, the dollar spot, and whatever else is is on there. And you you got to see this, Rick. It's just stunning and just amazing to see the the kind of stuff he does behind the scenes. Cool. A um, little bit of uh, inspiration from Bill Murray from Caddyshack, maybe? So, yeah, maybe. Mike, I don't know if you heard, but Peggy mentioned that I'm calling you from the Poconos right now. Oh, wow. Okay, good. Yeah, I know yeah. that uh, you go out there and your family uh, goes out there. Uh, how's life in the Poconos? Oh, my God. I just had to run back inside and put more bug spray on. The mayflies are going crazy. Um, and even though they've had um, winter kind of went all the way up until the end of March, uh, I don't know if you heard what was a couple of days ago, that line of thunderstorms that blasted through the northeast yes. uh, went through an area. Uh, literally, I, I did this, guys. I, I left last Monday morning, uh, arrived in New Jersey Monday night, spent some time with my brother, uh, then we drove up to uh, Fenway Park on Tuesday, so a Red Sox game, drove down to Providence, Rhode Island, spent some time with my cousins, uh, and then drove over to Cooperstown, hit the Hall of Fame, and then came down uh, literally all the way down what's called the east um, the east branch of the Delaware River. There's actually two branches. There's a north branch and an east branch, and the east branch goes right along Route 97, and I think I probably passed about six different crews that were basically putting back uh, Mm. electrical lines and telephone lines. A tremendous amount of wind damage across that area, what they call the tri-state area. And unfortunately, five people lost their lives to trees coming down. Um, Yeah, had nearly 110-mile-per-hour winds in some areas. So uh, there was a lot of damage to the north, but thankfully around here in the Milford area, they, they escaped the worst of it. Uh, but we had we had temperatures in the 40s yesterday up here, and similar to what you guys are experiencing now in the Chicagoland area, what readings of like close to 50 degrees right now with wind off the lake. So, not very not very May like for sure. No, uh, and I'm kind of curious uh, what folks are saying out there about the spring we've been having. Are they having the same oh. <laughs> same kind of complaints that we have in the Midwest? You know what was amazing? Um, on April 30th, Albany, New York, in that particular area, had two to four inches of snow. On May 2nd, they hit 90 degrees. They had their first 70, their first 80, and their first 90 wow. all on the same day. And it was literally three three days after they had, um, they had you know, remember we got really warm the first week of May. Right. It's been crazy. So I think more than anything, people are kind of like their heads are spinning. Um, you know, the, the lakes are at, like, record levels. The rivers are high. They've had not only so much snow but a tremendous amount of rain as well. Mm-hmm. And it just hasn't been nice. Um, so I think they're all kind of curious to see how things are going to pan out over the next couple of weeks because 
Um, I have not been up in this area in a long time during the month of May, uh, but I can tell you that the trees are probably about a week or two weeks behind schedule, and it's it's pretty much that way across much of the Northeast um, and into uh, parts of the Great Lakes. And I was talking to someone who's been up here for a long time, and it's kind of interesting. One of the things that they said that they've noticed is that there's hardly any deer around. And they think part of that is because they had so much heavy snow, literally, literally three feet at one point, um, covering the ground into the first or second week of April, that the deer literally you know, said, we're going elsewhere. Um, so from a strange standpoint, the ecosystem has kind of been kind of flipped a little bit, you know, not only from a standpoint of plants and trees, but also animals as well. Mm-hmm. Are you addressing this with your, your classes at Loyola uh, the, and, and talking about this, uh, the weather we've had uh, this spring yeah. in, in the northern part. And, and we've got, you've got, and I have to explain, you got like a minute to talk about that, and then we got to do a forecast. Yeah, no, I understand. It's a, um, well, clearly, class ended about three weeks ago, but it, oh, it's well. hard to jump on any sort of, you know, um, indictment of climate change or climate variability uh, just when you look at short term things. So when my, my class actually starts up, my summer class starts up next Monday. And I might be talking about this, so I, I need to do a little bit more investigation on it before I come up with any sort of reason for it. But um, nonetheless, it's 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 not a very nice day uh, in Illinois today. Uh, we'll get a little bit of sun probably late in the day on Monday, so only low 50s today, mid to upper 50s, probably close to 60 degrees along the lakefront tomorrow, maybe low 70s inland. But the good news is once we get into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we begin to dry out. But, you know, guys, there is nothing on the weather maps for the next 14 days, 14, that shows us even close to getting an 80-degree day. In fact, next weekend, we might even have a wind off the lake and temperatures back in the 50s right along the lakefront. So generally dry weather for the next 14 days, seasonal to below normal temperatures. Uh, but if you don't like hot weather... You're not going to get it in the state of Illinois over the next 14 days. So wow. don't put your tomatoes outside well, quite yet. Well, some people already no, have. No, not yeah. at all, Peg. Not yeah. at all. Matter of fact, there's, there's freeze warnings across parts of Michigan. Really? Northern Michigan today. Freeze warnings. Wow. Yeah, I shouldn't say freeze warnings. Frost advisory. Let me check that. Uh, but so, yeah, cool weather uh, still on tap for us for the next 10 to 14 days, guys. Okay. Does that make you happy or sad, Dan? He's not happy. Okay. Until next time, go green or go home. Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.